1: um welcome back to another episode of the gap down backer podcast um today we have a guest that i have kind of i've wanted to really get on but also i've, I've got dived deep into his stuff this offseason um coach tony holler is is the head track coach at plainfield north high school um he is a former football coach um and, but i think he's probably most well known obviously for his track par- perspective but also his feed the cats program which has, in my personal opinion, has helped kind of revolutionize not only how track coaches think about practicing and developing track athletes, but other sports like football um, have started to develop their off-season programs and develop speed, agility, and kind of a better way to do things. Uh, Coach, how are you doing? Good. Very good. Well, the first way I I want to get started with this is, and I ask every guest this, and this is episode 102, um, is kind of your background how do you end up as the um, I know you've talked about it a little bit stuff I've watched um, but how for those who may not know how do you end up as the head track coach at Plainfield North
0: yeah it's a uh, I always say that I'm kind of defined by my father um, my dad was a, a basketball coach at the high school and college level for 47 years um, and it was not like a light lightly participation type thing he was a head coach for 44 of those 47 years and so i grew up as his oldest son and he took me everywhere the locker rooms the gymnasiums the bus rides um, I, I fell in love with the entire process he loved everything about it he loved the ups and downs the wins the losses the uniforms the planning the the relationships of course and so and so i was um, uh, i went into coaching myself and, uh, and I became a head basketball coach at the age of 23 and I probably took the worst basketball job in the state of Illinois. And you know, that's, that's how you get a head job at the age of 23, right? It you is. go to, a, <laughs> you go to a place that has a 33 game losing streak. Um, and, and, um, and all of a sudden I'm the head coach and, uh, I coached at that place for eight years and, uh, and, and did well my last three years, but pissed somebody off and I got fired in 1990 um, strangely, one month before I got fired, that same board that didn't like me as a basketball coach begged me to be the track coach. Uh, <laughs> you, know, th- th- you can't make this stuff up, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and so, um, so with a family of four uh, and a wife that was a teacher and uh, a shit ton of debt, um, we, uh, uh, you know, I had to remake myself. You know, I had to grow where I was planted and. Uh, I'd always had a track background. I'd always been, you know, I was a college track athlete as well as a basketball player. Um, and I was an assistant coach during those early years uh, at Harrisburg, Illinois. And, uh, and, and so, so I remade myself. And in the next like 12, uh, next 14 years, my teams won eight state trophies and three state championships. And, um, and around 1999, I changed the way I coached uh, where we tried to attract the best athletes of the school to my program i've always said that every track every school has a great track team it's just that they aren't running track <laughs> and so track was a miserable sport and i was like why why is it miserable so i took a speed and power approach and i believe that my kids even though they would be terribly undertrained would still really be successful because we would out athlete people
1: yeah
0: what i was unaware of was that that un, that we were not undertrained. we were perfectly trained because we trained speed and all my guys even my slow guys my middle of the road guys they all got faster and and i'm i was like damn i'm kind of on to something here and so uh, i i spent i went two years to franklin tennessee had a couple of good seasons there and then um you know tennessee coaches aren't or tennessee teachers are paid terribly um so i came to chicago suburbs uh before uh a lot more money and uh that's why i'm at Plainfield north now and i've been here for 15 years my 40 i just finished two days ago i finished my 41st year of coaching track and uh and yeah here i am and i'm enjoying it probably more now than i ever have
1: good I, I mean you see like when i watch stuff with you you seem excited like all the time just talk like it's it's like And that's kind of what I mean. I think ideally, as coaches, we look for is we're excited to talk about what we're doing, like and and you. you, I mean, we've all seen the coaches who are just for a variety of reasons are miserable for their circumstances or how there's a lot of reasons why. Um, But I think it's just really interesting that perspective because I mean, obviously that your how you train started as a track mythology. I'll just phrase it that way, like trying to get more kids out. And then it's kind of evolved into obviously other sports. I mean, I think the most pronounced one is with your football track consortium, um, but other sports have taken. Like I was selling it, trying to sell it to our softball coach the other day.
0: Yes, like yeah
1: she, she was she was asking me about uh, running and speed, and I and I pretty much said we don't like mass run anymore. Like I'm like we I don't just run like gassers to run gassers. I was like I was like we time nine to twelve. Worst case, it might be 15 at some point this summer on like a higher day. But I was like, we time nine to 12 things, okay? About three reps for each thing we're timing, and then we're done. Like, and then we're in the weight room doing. And I'm focusing on single leg movements, single arm movements, hip movements, um, running fundamentals, stuff like that. And she she she's got very curious about it. I'm like, and I so I just sent her your YouTube channel. And I'm like, here, go listen. I mean it's like, like, and I kind of point out like our sport is four to six seconds, 30 seconds in between, as you know. So that's kind of, again, I'm trying to push it and it was pushed on to me. Um, how did, like, I'm just curious before we get into the feed cat how did this start spreading? Like, cause I, I know like everybody, everybody does something um, and it then just starts growing like wildfire. Like, cause it's not just like people in your state. Like I have, Two random coaches on the opposite end of the states that I've talked to this offseason that implement your uh, the Feed the Cats program. So how has this spread?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. I just got a, an email from the uh, uh, big school state champs in Oregon uh, reporting their boys had won the state championship with a pure yeah. Feed the Cats approach, uh, three consecutive in South Dakota. Uh, uh, I, I did five workshops in Ireland and England on Feed the Cats uh, it's, first of all, I think a lot of people today intentionally try to brand something and create a side hustle and try to make it blow up. Um, (laughs) and a lot of times they're like 25 years old. And I, 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 I want to tell them the, uh, Bob Dylan line that he says, I'll know my song well, before I start singing. And, um, and I've, I knew my song. Well, uh, I, I said, I started calling great athletes cats in 1999. And, and, and the whole idea that we are going to nourish athletes, not break them. We're going to feed athletes. And so I did it uh, in the first six years. We uh, we won the four by one state championship four times in six years and got fourth the other two years. So I I knew we were on to something. That was something that was, no state you ever hear of that, you know. I mean, n- nobody dominates the four by one because you graduate your good kids and then you got slower kids, blah blah blah. And so I knew I was onto something. Um, but you know, when you're when you're coaching at a smaller school and and <clears throat> nobody ever asked me a question, you know. Uh, but when I was about fifty, phew, about I was in my fifties, I was asked to write an article, um, and I was on Twitter. That's probably why you know, I'm active on Twitter and, and somebody thought, well, you know, this guy, I think has a lot to say. And little did I know that I had a whole lot to say, because as a track coach, nobody gives a a flip about your team. If they ask you about your team, you see them start to exit before you get your answer out. You know, they, they really, nobody cares. We coach an orphan sport. Uh, Parents don't even come to our sport. Uh, And, and so, I had all this information stuff built up in my head and I started writing and and I've written enough now to fill seven books and it's uh, people read and, you know, and, and Twitter. Uh, it's really been the fact that I had a lot to say and we are living in a time now where you don't have to have a lot of credentials to get published. <laughs> you, know, you can Definitely. publish yourself. Um, you can say things. We're, I'm on a podcast with a, right now with a high school coach i've never met before from ohio and this is how uh ideas spread now you know getting back to the idea that uh that there's a lot of young coaches right now trying um to uh to take over the world um it's you know you really have to have something worth listening to yeah something that makes sense and and you talk about how I'm excited all the time. That's not fake. Uh, I reflect the enthusiasm of my athletes. My athletes love track. I believe more than any track athletes in the world. And that's by intent, not by default. Uh, My good friend, Steve Jones says, you're either going to have culture by intentionally, you're going to intentionally have culture or you're going to have culture by default. And most coaches it's by default. Mine is intentional. I want my kids to love track and field because I found that kids are really good at what they like and they're obsessed with what they love. And if you can get them to that obsession point in your sport, your work is easier and you will go home excited because as coaches, we reflect our kids. If our kids are broken and miserable, we will go home to our wife and kids broken and miserable ourselves. And that's no way to live a life. So my excitement is very organic and natural based on the reflection of really cool things with my athletes.
1: Now, you earlier talked about bring, trying to attract more athletes, okay? And I think, I think you're right. Track has a perception you're just going to run the whole time, and it can scare people away. Just mm-hmm. like football football has that same perspective. Yep. Same thing. It's just you're going to run, it's going to be miserable, and you're going to work long hours which is also, a, there's a big contention in our sport that are looking at, okay, how can we shorten the week for our kids, but still get an effective dosage? Um, how did you initially, I mean, because I can go in a school, somebody could hire me tomorrow and tell, tell all the athletes in the building, you're going to run less, have more fun. But how, do you, how did you, when you went to this mythology of, okay, we're going to find an optimal level of dosage, Okay. How did you sell that to the kids to, to get them to come out? Or did the winning, did the, the first couple of years where you started winning solve that problem for you? How did you find that sell point to the kids?
0: That's a really good question. And, and I was going to answer it one way and then and then you talked about winning. Um, motivation comes from success. Yes. And we coaches don't understand that enough they, they they see it as wins but i think we need to set kids up to be successful in practice too and that's the record rank and publish thing where testing is training and training is testing um we are constantly showing want to show kids that they're better than their former self and you can't do that without data without real data whether it's you know like look at your benching you know 115 as a freshman and now you're benching 225 that's motivation if you tell a kid, hey, you're running 18 miles an hour as a freshman, and now as a sophomore, you're running 20. Hey, where are you going to be running as a senior? That's how you build that fire. So, so success is really, really important. And sometimes we can't control winning games. Some, sometimes you fumble twice in the fourth quarter and you lose.
1: Yeah.
0: And, and, but yet, it, it, you know, I think we overreact to losses. And, of course, you know what football coaches do when they lose, right? You run. Uh, uh, we we were soft and we need to condition more. You know, we, we, we we were cowards in the fourth quarter. No, you fumbled twice, shut up. But football coaches are just the worst at defaulting to, you know, the intangibles, you know, the toughness um, uh, conditioning, blah, blah, blah. And, and so, because sometimes we can't control the games, we have to make sure that kids see success in the off season and see success in practices. And so, one of the things that makes delineates feed the cats from old school is the old school didn't care about performing in practice they, they just didn't care yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, in the 70s i, I was a quarterback from my high school football team and we wore these like eight dollar shoes that had like soft cleats and i mean they were like high tops because we didn't care if we were fast we, then we had game shoes well that, that's kind of a metaphor for the way we practiced Compared to how we wanted to play, what I believe is that we need to perform twice a week in practice and perform the game. So, so we have three performance days a week where we are going to be, we're going to wear our game shoes. We are going to run at at game speed plus. Um, it's going to take re- more recovery than football teams are used to taking yeah. in order to get those high speeds. So, so I, I think all of that is really important. But then let's get back to how you sell it to kids. You sell it by saying that we are not going to be a program that crushes you. We are not going to crush you. We're not going to break you. I mean, you know, we might break horses, but we don't break human beings. We are not going to break you and build you back better. You know, like we're the Marines or something. This is not a paramilitary operation. This is a game. And we are going to perform in practice to perform we're going to have to focus on being healthy and being uh fresh as possible and fast as possible uh football is a game of high outputs it's not a game of steady outputs but yet you look at some of the best coaches in america uh, their teams never stop moving in practice they are running from drill to drill station to station And, and, you know, I'd argue 50% of it does not contribute to winning games, but it looks good. It looks like that football coach is highly organized and man, he's got those guys going and hustling and hustle, hustle, hustle. Football is not a hustle sport. Football is a performance sport where we want to be at absolute maximal speeds, maximal intent on every damn play. And, and your best players are going well, if they play both ways. They're still going to play less than ten minutes. Yeah, in a two and a half hour game. So why would we have a two and a half hour jog to prepare prepare for ten minutes of high intensity? We just don't do it.
1: Yeah, well, that's why I, I was watching. Oh, you dropped um, your football. You've dropped six episodes the past um, like two weeks, and I forget uh, you had uh, Hines talked about that about how like I, the average college player doesn't play more than a total of eight minutes in a game right. and like I mean it's the same thing like even high school football worst case high school football you might double that and you're not going to double that it just because how the clock moves and how everything moves in high school is vastly different than college but um, going back to your record rank published, you talked about there and, and we talked a little bit about this off screen before we started is Kids get excited when they see they hit new PRs. They just do. Like I said, I like I said, we started a lot of this. I obviously we're a little limited with our how much we're able to run in the winter, just because I don't have a super large facility to run, say a 40, but I have an indoor that I can at least run a 10, a 15, and a shuttle. So mm-hmm. like all winter we run 10, 15s, and shuttles and timing those, and kids were getting excited. Then we started run once the weather cleared up, running 40s, time of that. And any anytime a kid hit, hit hit a new PR, got excited. And the great thing because we use Team Builder, they put it in their phone and everybody gets to see it. So it, it's not only self-satisfying, but it, it shows it to everybody that you're approving. Um kind of, I mean, how have you approached posting it? Um, and 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 like obviously a kid's going to know if he hits his own PR, but how have you gone with hey, because obviously. Kids want want to show off what they're doing. Like we, we don't want to create a it's just about me. But it all you also want to build some self confidence. How have you gone about posting it and approaching hitting PRs with your kids?
0: Yeah, I love that. The uh, uh, when I first started in '99, all we did was 40s. That's it. And I do want to tell you, uh, you mentioned the lack of facilities. And you know, let me share this cool thing. There, there's a team in South Dakota. They have won the last three uh, state championships in track and field. And, and they used a couple of runways in their longest hallway, yeah. Um, you know, like pole vault runways. Um, but the principal was so excited about the culture changing in the school. And as you know, the, the better speed you have in track and field, the football coach should be happy as hell. <laughs> you know, I mean, the basketball coach should be being like it. My kids are jumping higher. We we are, we're better athletes because we, we should all care about athletes. So what they did was, was they made it into a speed hallway okay. where they went wall to wall with like a rubberized surface where kids could wear spikes. So now, now they have like an indoor track, a straightaway track in their longest hallway. And, you know, we we put flooring down the weight room. Yeah. You know, why why not have, you know, uh, so anyway, there, there are, I love sharing those stories because I think it gives people hope that, that maybe, you know, they could move into a direction where they could do more. Yeah. So having said that, when I first started timing, because we didn't have free lap, I'm a big free lap guy now. Um, I don't know how you coach without it. I've had, I was one of the earliest guys to get free lap about 10 years ago. Um, I go all the way back to when they had free lap watches where the watches were the chips. And, and now they have chips that go on your waist. So before free lap, it was time 40s with a stopwatch. Um, I, I just watched for movement of the hand, click it, click it when their chest broke the plane of glass at the finish line. And then I would, we'd run three and we'd average their best two. And so what I did, this is like the very dawn of, of uh, spreadsheets uh, back in 99, or at least dawn of my understanding of spreadsheets. I, I would do that print it and put it in the hallway right across from the principal's office. And then uh, a month later, he made me stop yeah. because there was so much damn traffic in the main hallway that kids could not get to class. They were late to class because there were about 30 boys pointing to their times and all that. You just imagine the excitement yeah, of, yeah. of being posted for the whole school to see. So, so then I just started taping it to the walls of the weight room. I ran the weight room back in those days. So you just took, you know, like athletic tape and taped it to particle board walls in an old pole barn weight room. And that's where we posted it. So obviously flash forward to now. um, Now, of course, it's on my website. It's on Twitter. I put it all out on Twitter and I use Google, Google sheets because, you know, you can, it's basically a spreadsheet that you can go share link. Boom, you put it on Twitter, put a nice picture or video underneath it to get people's attention. You maybe highlight two or three kids from that performance that day, and then you just put it out there. Interesting thing somebody asked me, Do you have any blowback from parents? You know, like I don't want my kid stuff out there for 8 billion people to see because he's now at the bottom of my list. In 23 years of doing this, not a single parent has objected yeah not a single one whereas in in like can you imagine posting test scores um um, in school you'd be there'd be a lawsuit you know and that's probably what's wrong with education today um we're afraid of lawsuits and stuff we should be competing on tests in education but instead we don't compete we tell kids not to compete and uh it's just the opposite in sports because if you're truly interested in performance you must own your performance you must measure it and own it and that's what we do
1: 100%. I mean that's it, it's that double-edged sort of an education where you want to post stuff not only to create competition but just kind of develop self-worth yep. and you have that double-edged sort of okay what are we doing what can we actually post what can we legally do blah 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 all that stuff that is just a pain you know, and <laughs> I mean it, it really is um but kind of continuing you you obviously talk a lot about how there is no perfect dosage like it varies on kid it varies on facility it varies there's a lot of factors like I mean a big factor for us is nutrition um how do you find that perfect dosage like what are you looking for how, how do you find it
0: it's a hell of a question. I, I use one of my favorite slides is a Hormesis um, graph where where uh, trainings uh, whether it's a, a drug or training, and I think training should be looked at kind of like a drug that has an optimal dose. and uh, and and so if you imagine training um, having a positive impact, I think everybody can agree, training has a positive impact up until a certain point my dad used to call that hump the point of diminishing returns and so so then after you have too much training you actually start detraining your training (laughs) and if you keep going you will break the damn athlete and i call it burning the stake. so what you want to do since you don't know where that hump is for every kid and even for every kid as you know you talk about nutrition and so forth um, uh, uh, especially in poverty situations, uh, since you don't know where that hump is, and that hump can also change day to day based on what they've done the previous twenty four hours, that you always want to err on the side of not burning the steak. You would rather have that steak be uh, uh, medium rare than medium because medium is closer to burning the steak. so, yeah. If if you look at that, what happens is you develop uh, healthy athletes, and they will be actually be happier because you're training them less. Um, they will look forward to their next practice the next day. You develop that like and love. Remember that like and love is key, because once once, once they like it, you got them, and once they love it, they don't even need you anymore. You know they 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 are self motivating. They're building their own damn house every day, so. So by by doing this, you you will incrementally get better without, and this happens all the time, that one step forward, two steps back type Mm -hmm. thing. By never burning the stake, you know, you could make a. as Les Bellman, who I just met last weekend says, if you're making a profit every day, you'll never go broke. And that's a great way to look at training. We want to make a profit every day. Now it may, may be, it is not like going to the craps table with a hundred bucks and going, coming home with a hundred thousand. Oh, well, by the way, people who do that, they go broke because if you bet at all, I mean, if you're trying to chase a hundred thousand dollars and you only got a hundred, you're going to go home broke in probably an hour, you know, that, that's not a way to play craps and it's, it's not a way to train. So what we want to do is, going back to the metaphor of the craps table, you want to go with hundred bucks and you want to get $20 up and you want to put that, those damn chips in your pocket, take them to the window, cash them in and go home. And then you come back the next day and win another 20 bucks and the next day. And if we play the long game, I know you said that you have access to seventh grade through 12. Yes. Oh my God. That's set six years of playing the long game. And You know, I'm telling you right now that most middle school kids get absolutely no training. And if they do get training, it's bad training. So, yeah. yeah. So, if you can have an impact speed and power wise, starting with seventh graders and start building that love of sport, like of sport, when you start with like, hopefully it ends up being love, you will see absolutely huge. Uh, uh, gains in a six year period and people will begin to see you as this master coach. And all you've been doing is uh, uh, understanding that speed grows like a tree it has to be watered every day and you take care of your kids and, uh, and, and, and make it a great experience for them.
1: Yeah. And, and growth can and like, obviously you're looking at long-term growth, but you're looking at short-term growth. Like my, my example is in our program last year, we had two kids that could run a sub five second 40. So we were really slow. I mean, that's just where we were. Um, one of them graduated. So I had one sub, <laughs> one, one, one of them were retarded. Just so far this offseason, we are up to 10. that are sub five second 40s. I think we, by the time August 1st hits, I get hit 15. I think because we have a lot of like 5.01s, 5.0. <laughs> zero nine five point one two and some of that you can fix by just form you know that's as i do some of that is literally if you have a bad start that's that just screws you running a 40 um so when you combine getting faster plus that like i said just the growth we've had and like two and two of those kids are going to be eighth graders next year like that's that's the best part of it like and so i i think that's that's where you gotta look at it that's why like i've invested in team builder and i've invested in timing like i would love to get a free lap when we can afford it like because i'm with you like just how much from an ease perspective and recording everything for you it's all there instead and you know hand timing is not perfect by any means right it just isn't um that's again where i'm looking at too and like i remember i've seen you I, I kind of want to go in a slightly different direction as we kind of continue this for a second is I've ta- seen you talk about lactate days and whether you use them or not use them. I, me- I remember listening to one of your um, speeches and how you like typically program like two or three in, and but half the time you cancel most of them. Yeah. Um, is it, it, a lot, and it, just so I understand it correctly, is a lot of that just because of where your kids are timing wise? Is it because of a rest recovery point? Why do you end up canceling a lot of those um, instead of, okay, we have them scheduled and keeping them?
0: Yeah, uh, first of all, health trumps a workout, always. I mean, uh, one time I had a kid with turf toe. He's my fastest kid, and he literally did not practice one day during May. But he still still was all state in two events at the state meet. It hurt him still. (laughs) but but you know i am not going to take a kid with if if a kid has the onset of shin splints they don't practice that day that's so hard for a football coach because the, the tradition of football is that every kid is banged up every single kid is banged up and i realize that you have to play the game uh with a sore ankle um but i really believe that that practice wise um if, if you are making a bad situation worse in practice, that kid would be better off not practicing that day and being more uh, in better health come game time. Uh, and, you know, the old school thing, as you know, like, hey, if you miss a practice, you don't play in the game, you know, that kind of stuff. Well, I'm all about performance. I'm not about rules. I don't have any rules. Uh, you know, my I guess I have one rule. You have to come practice every day. Period. You know that's that's our one rule. Everything else is culture. So um, so getting back to lactate. So so that people understand what lactate is. Lactate is going full speed for over fifteen seconds. That's what it is. And the reason why we do lactate workouts in track and field is because we have to transition from a base of pure speed and power. I mean, we don't ever do anything resembling anything hard in the off season, all we do is sprint and strength. That's all we do. Sprint and power. I I like the word power because power means like fast strength, you know, explosive strength. You know, I don't, slow strength just doesn't translate to performance in my opinion. Uh, It could be a base for, for, you know, fast strength, Um, but slow strength is, is just not performance. doesn't seem like performance to me. So we have to transition from running really, really fast for a couple seconds to being able to run really, really fast for my, my sprinters are all 400 guys. So we have to run really, really fast for like 55 seconds. So how do we transition? We transition with lactate workouts where we'll do something like the 23 second drill, which means we run as fast as we can, see how far we can get in 23 seconds, take eight minutes off. Kids become very sick. They, they double up. In fetal positions and so forth, um, they're not sick. They're just very acidic. You know, it's that glycolytic stuff where an- really strong anaerobic stuff produces uh, lactate, which changes it into, uh, no, I'm sorry, creates lactic acid. And when it changes into lactate, you become acidic. It's not the lactate that makes you sick, it is the acidity that makes you sick. So we do that to biochemically become tough enough. To sprint the 200 meters and the 400 meters so you're probably wondering what in the hell would that have to do with football and that's a good that's a good question i don't think it does yeah. un- unless you are trying to create some biochemical toughness and somehow that might translate to something personally i would never do lactate work with football players okay ever now if you do I would always do it on Friday or Thursday, the end of the week, because it, it has a 48 hour hangover. Your athletes will be diminished for 48 hours. It's crazy. If you had a speed day the next day, they'd all be slower. Yeah. All of them. So, so we don't practice the day after a lactate workout. So if you do lactate work in the summer or off season, make sure you do that at the end of the week so that it does not interfere with speed training. You don't want anything to ever interfere with speed training. If you want, need to crush their legs, which I would question in the weight room, you do that at the end of the week too. So you have no, so speed is never compromised. And so you're probably thinking, well, how do we transition in football? I think is really important. Football from doing pure speed and power to doing it 60 times in a game. I believe what you do is sprint capacity workouts, which is different than lactate. Um, here, here's a sprint capacity workout with free lap. You know, everybody. You know, let's say we have a group of twelve guys. We we put chips on them, and they and they run through. Um, you know, like a ten meter uh, a ten meter run in to a forty meter fly. Yeah. And they walk back. And they do ten of those in ten minutes. Can you see the relationship between yeah. that and football? Yeah. Uh, uh, compare that to running two miles, eight laps on the track. No. What, what, you know the, the, the eight laps on a track has nothing to do with football. And people say, oh, well, it increases their aerobic engine. Don't listen to those guys. Those guys are textbook people, research people. They've never, if they coach anybody, they're terrible at it. What you want to do is increase their capacity to do high level things. And you're not trying to crush them. You'll, you'll be surprised uh, when you do those 10 forties, the fastest guys will, will run the fastest at the end, not the slow guys. Um, if you have distance runners, you know, on your, it would be weird, but distance runners on your football team, they're not going to be really good in their 10th one. No, they're going to be slow in all of them because they're not fast. So you're improving their ability. And you say, well, wait, that's only like 10 of them though. How does that, allow you to do 60 to 80 plays in a game. Well, that's where I believe that you let the game be the hardest thing you do. It it sounds bizarre. I mean, my dad used to say, we're going to make practice so hard that the games will feel easy. I have flipped that. Practice is going to be high performance and the game's magic. There's magic in a game. The fast, if you're really fast, you're going to be fast in the fourth quarter. I've never seen fast guys that become slow in the fourth quarter ever slow guys on the other hand fatigue i believe very quickly no matter how hard you work them slow guys and that's called speed reserve if you can run 22 miles an hour 18 miles an hour seems pretty damn easy if you can run 18 miles an hour you can't do 18 miles an hour the whole game you've got to be fast to be fast sub maximally you have to be fast to be fast when you're tired. And so what I would do getting back to, you know, I would work speed and power end of the week, especially, uh, you know, maybe the first month go all speed and power. Second month, end of the week, start doing that sprint capacity thing. And somebody may say, well, isn't that the same as gassers? About the same length, yeah, about 40, yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: But, but you're getting a 55 second walk back which allows you to run fast in all 10. And they say, well, gee, in a game, you don't give 55 seconds. I don't care. We are, we are going to, we're going to make performance the important thing in practice. And then we're going to let the game be the hardest thing we do. And your kids will be just fine. If not, you sub for them <laughs> and, and, and keep them as fresh as possible.
1: Well, it's even like, I understand you don't get 55 seconds, but you get 30 to 40 typically, unless you are in a no huddle, nonstop team. And even then you get about probably still 15, 20 second break in between. Like you just do. Um, I do want to ask you, because I mean, obviously, obviously I'm not a track coach by any means. I don't pretend to be, don't pretend to understand a lot of your sport, but I, I go I go to at least a couple of meets every year to support our kids. Um mostly to watch our throwers because that's where most of my kids end up being. Just to be honest, I go to the throwing section. My middle school coaches is, is the throwing coach for the middle school down there. So easy conversation and all that jazz. Um, and then I'll go watch my, my some of my athletes run. Um, but you talked about um, injury, shut them down. Okay. I, I mean, from a track perspective, what do you have them do? when you shut them down, like football it's easy. You're shut down. You can still take mental reps. You could maybe still walk through stuff. If you have shin splints, whatever it is. Okay. I'm just curious just because I'm a curious person. How do you handle that part with track when obviously they're not running because you said shin splints or their turf toe or whatever, how do you still have them involved during practice?
0: Yeah. I, it, it, you'd probably be disappointed um, in my answer because <laughs> Because, you know, I, I just think that cats sleep 20 hours a day, you know, and, and uh, one, you know, I, I believe a day off might be better than uh, I mean, like totally off might be better than anything we could do. Obviously, you can go spin a bicycle, you know, and I would say spin it, you know, spin it for 30 seconds, get off of it, have a drink of water, get back on spin it for 30 seconds. Don't do a slow jog for 60 minutes or something. Obviously, you can do uh, push-ups, you can lift, blah, blah, blah. You can stay athletic in many ways. Um, One of the things we tell anybody that's banged up, one extra hour of sleep. I love real simple things that are doable. Um, Sleep is when we grow. Sleep is when we adapt. Sleep is when hormones flow through our body. And sleep is when we recover. We, I mean, I recover from injuries. If, if you can get an extra hour of sleep, you will be less sore the next day. Um, sleep is the magic in our life. And um, nobody ever told me that as an athlete, um, sleep was something that you wish you wouldn't have to do. Because, you know, like when you're young, you want to stay up all night. You know, at least I did. And, uh, and so sleep is really, really important. Uh, I'll tell you this story. This is an incredible story. My good friend, Chris Corfist, had an extremely fast guy named Kahari Williams 10 years ago. And Kahari uh, was not getting faster. Uh, five consecutive weeks, his, his numbers were stagnant. And Chris, being an out-of-the-box thinker like I am, said, Kahari, we're going to start taking Mondays off. So they took Monday off, and all of a sudden the speed numbers jumped. So Chris, being a being a, a scientist, a mad scientist for sure. Um, Says, okay, we're going to start taking Mondays and Tuesdays off. They saw more jumps in his speed. Well, to make a long story short, by the end of the year, he was he's top practicing, and his times started to explode.
1: Yeah.
0: Now, you may think, well, shit, we can't do that in football. You know, like we can't have guys not practice. And you're right. You know, you, you do need to practice, and you do need reps. But as soon as you start hearing those stories by really smart people. don't throw anything at me, but, but practice is overrated as coaches. We think practice is our, is our canvas, you know, and we, we overestimate the value that we have on kids through practice. As soon as you start thinking that way, you free yourself to practice less to maybe practice with more recovery. You free yourself to hold a kid out for his own good. Um, And that freedom allows you, I think, to really evolve into a better coach. I think when we don't have that freedom and we just have to keep grinding through the whole season, we end up with a diminished team and probably worst of all, that diminished team is reflected by the staff and secretly um, your assistants are kind of hoping they lose that last game so they don't have another week in the playoffs. I mean, that absolutely happens in programs all over America. Uh, If that's not the thought inside of your assistant's head, it is in their wives' heads. And as you know, wives talk about that stuff. You know, like, I can't believe, you know, I hope this season's over this week, you know. (laughs) And you don't want that. You want everybody excited. You want people crying tears after that last game. Not really because they lost, but because they don't get to come out and do it again next week. You know, if you when you get that, I think you have it all. So, so yeah, I, I just, uh, um, the happiness and healthiness of athletes is non-negotiable to me. Uh, that is not something, if, if my athletes are miserable, I refuse to coach. I, I just will not do that because kids have one chance to go through uh, sports. Uh, for sure football right you're not yeah. going to play any football when you're our age uh you got one chance and so let's make it a a, a fantastic not just games it's not you know like practices suck but the games are going to be fun no we are going to make football a positive experience from from sunday to sunday
1: yeah now now you mentioned sleep there and i, and I agree 100 percent and obviously today's for a variety of reasons, our students do not get enough sleep. There's a lot that goes into it. Um, how much do you talk about nutrition with your kids? Like I said, that for, when we talked talk before we came on, like that's a huge part for me. It's a, lot of, a lot of that's because our, of our socioeconomics. Yep. Um, but how much are you talking to kids about nutrition? I mean, obviously, and I, and I say this all the time to our kids, I'm not going to be disillusioned and say they're never going to eat a potato chip or drink a pop. Like that's, I'm, I'm not that naive. But you can, I at least talk to them and try to get them. Like we we provide a lot of protein to our kids. Um, how much do you deal with nutrition on a daily basis?
0: You know, I I used to be totally wrapped up in nutrition. I'm talking like, like back in the '80s. You know, I you know I was reading Fitter Fat, Protein Power. You know, like I mean, I was constantly dialed into nutrition. Now I feel like nutrition is important. But is dwarfed by sleep. I mean, sleep is absolutely the number one. I think it's important that you prioritize things as well. I think number two, um, consistent drinking of water. You know, uh, uh, you know, sipping water all day long. Uh, I think really, really good athletes um, carry water with them. Um, uh, I mean, if if you not that I'm a bodybuilding fan or a powerlifting fan but, but bodybuilders and power lifters, they carry water with them. Um, I think sprinters should, I think football players should, they should carry water with them. It should be. Water is consistent throughout the day. Uh, I don't know if you show, uh, Troy Aikman posted a picture of him being all ripped and stuff down in Southern, Southern Florida, South Florida. And, um, one of the things he does is, um, I, I think he drinks, I don't believe it, but two gallons of water a day okay. <laughs> that, you know, like Tom Brady's come out with, you know, like water is the key. So priority number one, sleep. Priority number two, water. And then for nutrition, this I take this from Alan Bishop. Um, he is a spectacular uh, SNC coach for Houston basketball. Very <laughs> successful season, blah, blah, blah. I just love everything he puts out. Um, uh, um, he, uh, you know, I've asked him to speak at TFCs and, and, um, and you know he's just a busy guy, but we hope to get him someday. But he says this, and I, I just love it. He says, eat like a man, eat like a man. And when you tell your kids that, you'll see them thinking. And then you bring up things. What does a man eat? Does he eat uh, crackers and Skittles? Hell no, a man eats meat. He eats, he eats his vegetables, he eats his starches, he eats his salads eat like a man. And what Alan does, he'll post stuff. And, and it's some of the best postings ever. Uh, it'll show a plate of food that, that his basketball players are eating. And it's like, there's like a pound of meat. There's big, you know, vegetables there's uh, potatoes, there's fruit, you know, eat like a man. Don't eat out of a box. Don't eat out of a bag. Don't, don't eat a, a, a pop tart for breakfast and a candy bar for lunch. Men don't eat like that. You're eating like a little boy, a little spoiled brat, little boy. Uh, don't give in, you know, so, so I think, you know, I'm, you know, it sounds like I'm challenging their manhood. And I think I am. You know, we, football coaches more than anybody say they want, you know, they want to uh, turn boys into men. It's weird, you never hear any coach say, I'm gonna turn a girl into a woman. Um, it's always boys to men, but there's this manhood DNA in us that we want to be like a man. We want to be strong and courageous and blah, blah, blah. And if you if you challenge them to eat like a man and explain what that means, I, I think it'll go a long way.
1: Now, I, I have three questions left for you. Um, one, I have to ask you because you're obviously wearing the shirt and I can't ignore the fact that you have RPR on. Um, I'm not going to sit here and p- pretend I know a lot about RPR. Um, I have a friend that is RPR, um trained um and he's um speaks wonders about it i've heard you talk about it i've i've seen some of the videos of rpr and it being done um do you want to talk a little bit about what rpr has done for y'all and kind of how you've sold it to the kids Because i think i think that's the other thing like when you do Definitely. stuff like that obviously it works but you still have to get buy-in and i think Good. that's and i think that's where stuff like that coaches you know, to be honest especially football coaches struggle with
0: you, anything we do, we have to get buy-in. You know, we have, we have to sell it. I have to sell every damn workout we do. I have to even workouts that we do daily, like a speed workout. I have to sell it. This is why we're doing it. This is why it's important. I have to bring enthusiasm. I have to caffeinate myself sometimes to do it. So I got involved with be activated because Chris Corfist. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Dan Fichter, saw a guy named Douglas Heal in England and said, holy cow, this is a game changer. We can use this be activated thing that Douglas Heal is putting out to improve performance and make our athletes more durable in sports. So Chris, being Chris, um, called up Douglas Heal and said, what would it take to bring you here? So he started bringing him about once every three months from South Africa over to here. And then he invited me um, to hear it because I'm a good friend. And I write. And so I probably wrote more about be activated than any person on the planet. And about four years ago, um, they started having problems legally with the word activated because there's things called MAT muscle activation techniques and blah, blah, blah. And there's all these cease and desist letters, blah, blah, blah. We're going to sue you. And so, and so we, not we, but Chris Corfist and JL Holdsworth and Cal Dietz made this subsidiary kind of, um, broke free of Be Activated, broke free of Douglas Hill and called it Reflexive Performance Reset. It's the same thing as Be Activated. Um, they've marketed it better. They simplified it. They teach it really well. And basically you talk about buy-in. What, the first thing you have to do is you have to take the course and attend and get around people who know what they're doing and then what you can do is you can bring your kids into a classroom auditorium or something like that and explain why it's so valuable and once again if you can't explain it can't sell it then it's never going to work but there are certain things that you can do where you press on certain parts of the body and you can show to the whole crowd look look at the change in his body now you know like the 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 change in strength um the strength you know like like one of the things rpr does is releases without stretching we don't stretch it releases tightness so you become uh, um you develop a bigger range of motion just because of belly breathing and by the way if it sounds weird that you're pressing on parts of the body to make your body better i know it's voodoo totally voodoo. What's not voodoo is belly breathing. Belly breathing changes you. Um, If you, you know, you can read the book, Breath by James Nestor, The Oxygen Advantage. Um, I mean, little things like breathing through your nose makes you a much healthier, better performer. Breathing through your mouth um, (laughs) is the opposite. So there's all these scientific things about breathing. And so, so what we do is that we sell it first of all, and we have the wow things going on. We work on a guy on a table and he gets up and goes, I've never felt like this before, blah, blah, blah. And, and so we, we get that buy-in. And then what I do is I do like a, I have to admit I haven't been as good at it this year. COVID has just disrupted everything, but, but we are gonna be really good at it every day next year. We do this like three minute thing during our warm ups where we belly breathe, we press. If anybody talks, I, I like kick them out of practice or something, um, nobody will ever talk again. You know, this is like being at church or something. And yeah. we start pressing and belly breathing and, and we go through everything. And if people wanna see that, I actually posted a, uh, something on my YouTube channel about how we do RPR. Um, so people can go to that and check it out. Um, Implementation is really different. I spent uh, three weeks with uh, a great football team that went 14-0 in Illinois, Nazareth um, uh, in the Chicago area. And they did not do self-RPR. They had like three or four tables um, at games. And they would invite people like me or Chris Corfus, uh, doctors that knew how to do RPR, um, trainers who knew, and they'd come in and be like working on kids, and then next kid, we get on the table. So there's different ways to implement. I don't think you can get on tables for every practice, and they did not. They, they did it as a part of their warm up When they were doing speed drills, shoulder pads off, helmets off, they, they would do some RPR thing after every speed drill. To me, I've compressed that. We'll do like five speed drills, and then, then we do like three minutes of RPR. And we're done. Um, you can get a lot done in three minutes. I would say 15 minutes on a table might be twice as good. But just like you talking about, everybody has to grow where they're planted. You know, if you don't have an indoor track, you go the next best thing. And uh, that's kind of the way RPR is too. You got to strike that balance between what's optimal and what's doable.
1: Now, the second to last question is, I've seen your... Um optimal like speed, non-speed days for football, Saturday and Sunday is rest days. Yep. Uh, my question to you is, especially for schools in Ohio or like mine, we play games on Fridays, JV games on Saturdays. Some of those JV kids play on Friday. Yep. You get a certain amount of quarters a week, blah, 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 How would you modify that schedule that? Because obviously you're, you're essentially having two speed days back to back for some of those JV kids. Um, it's not optimal by any means. Yeah. I, I don't like having JGB games on Saturdays, yeah. um, but it is what it is. That's that's some things I can't change. Um, so how, how would you approach that perspective at that point then?
0: Yeah, I, I you know, the whole thing, the word optimal, optimal is something that like you can never get to. You know, like, (laughs) you know, once again, you grow where you're planted. If if, Right off the top of my head, if I was in your position, say, okay, we play games on Friday night. We play games on Saturday. Um, We'll do the best we can. Uh, The the kids that played a lot on Friday would not play a lot on Saturday. You know, I mean, that's just the best we can. It's not, maybe not going to be optimal. We do realize these are teenagers and there's magic in games. And a kid could probably play four quarters on Friday and four quarters on Saturday and be just fine. Um, Having said that, um, if you time them on Sunday, they would be diminished. Yes. So, so Sunday becomes really important. Sleep becomes really important. Once again, we go back to sleep, water, and nutrition. And so I would definitely, and you already mentioned kind of like the feed the cats basic and feed the cats is not a system. Feed the cats is a is kind of a mindset it's a way to cook um the actual recipe for you because you play the weird friday saturday yes back to back is not going to be the same as the recipe for Brad Dixon who may play on friday night uh with a monday jv game yeah yeah
1: you
0: know, that's a little different but i think you know you know you have your big friday saturday it's really important that you take care of your coaches really important because not only do your coaches reflect your kids,
1: yes.
0: your kids will reflect your coaches. So, you know, to have a six hour meeting on Sunday, in my opinion, would be asinine. You, uh-huh. want, you want the shortest meeting possible. And I would even look into what Brad Dixon does where they do not meet. They, they Google doc, they, they watch film on their own, how it fits in best with their wife and kids. Um, Some coaches like to get up at six in the morning and work. Some coaches like to work when their wife and kids go to bed at night. But you've got to take care of your coaches and make sure they report on Monday refreshed and renewed and not in trouble with their wife and kids. So Monday should not be a performance day. Monday should be a fundamental day. It doesn't mean uh, we're out there in flip flops um, and, 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 you know, like uh, walking through stuff. It could be. You, but you can practice fundamentals and coach kids without putting on their game shoes and, and going at game speed. Plus I would say Tuesday needs to be a performance day um, because you've had two days pretty much to recover. So, so you put on those game shoes, ramp it up on Tuesday. That does not mean hard.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, we're kind of redefining hard here. If hard is full speed. Yeah. It's hard. Um, but it's not full speed with no recovery and if football coaches think that's soft then they're just not one of us you know they're just not one of us Uh, Wednesday needs to be a fundamental day you know game plan uh, strategy fundamentals you can block you can tackle you can uh, you can catch you can throw Uh, I probably wouldn't have receivers running full speed full routes but but you 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 can run you can run at the end of routes. They can take three steps and catch it over their shoulder. You know that that's not burning the stake. Um, and then I would I would also perform on Thursday, but perform carefully. I, like a half performance day on Thursday. Um, one of the problems with pregame, coaches want to be fast, and that's fine. That's a performance level practice. Yeah. But but sometimes coaches will do all their reps with their ones on pregame and coaches that have purchased catapult systems have found out that those Thursdays that they thought were were uh, not burning the stake were actually burning the stake because their ones were getting more reps than they got all week. So you gotta be really careful. You, you don't wanna run a play eight times and then move to the next play. You, You want, you want like eight different plays full speed with massive recovery, talk in between, talk in between, um, you do not, you know, some coaches, once again, they, they don't want it to look like their practices look choppy because there might be a dad in the stands that thinks they're unorganized too much standing around. You want standing around in practice especially on performance days, you want standing around. Um, Because in in football, if you think about it, let's say a a kid plays one way for you, that's five minutes of football in a two and a half hour period. What's he doing the other two hours and 25 minutes? He's not jogging, (laughs) he's standing around. I mean, literally five second bursts, about 50 times, 100 times, whatever, and then, rest of the time he's standing around like he's loitering but yet loitering is illegal in practice no loitering in practice but wait a minute coach we loiter pretty much 95 percent of the game i don't give a shit we're we're gonna you know so so yeah you gotta get away from that then of course you perform on friday and saturday and i love what brad dixon does brad's a good friend and the godfather of sprint-based football and um he does a uh uh, he does like a 20-minute warm-up you know how teams will get out there for ninety minutes, yeah. Run like two thousand pass patterns and blah blah blah, just makes no sense. Uh, he spends about twenty minutes doing RPR on the gym floor. They go out, uh, you know, like a short warm up, and then they're like an uncaged animal come game time. Oh, one other thing, Dan Casey, another good friend of mine. Uh, he, he just put out his third book on mesh. Uh, he has a uh, his last book before that was on screen the book before that was on counter and he's just a brilliant brilliant young coach and uh, when he was at uh saint david in raleigh north carolina he's in houston now um but when he was in north carolina he instituted a halftime in practices he says staff almost revolted you know <laughs> it's like what these guys are sitting around drinking gatorade under a tree are you kidding no this ain't football but if you think about it why wouldn't you why wouldn't you reassess yeah. the first half with your coaching staff? Why wouldn't you let your kids really go through a eight minute period, kind of like they would in a game? You know, like you know, let them sit around. Let's have a great second half. Um, you know, everybody takes a water break. Well, it's just an extended water break,
1: Definitely.
0: and uh, you you may change your practice plans at halftime because of what happened in the first half. Oh, guess what? That's exactly what you do in a game. You may have a game plan that changes you know, or maybe you had a great first half and nothing changes like, Hey guys, we had a great first half. This is what we're going to do in the second half. But I think all those things are really out of the box, new school performance based, uh, you know, making sure the kids really love their, uh, opportunity to play. And we would not do any of this stuff if, if it did not produce winning games. I, I just did a, uh, Clinic in in uh, Fort Lauderdale last week with Les Bellman, Joey Garasio, and Tony Villani. and and I uh, my presentation was the five, whys and the ten hows of feed the cats. The number one why I've never given this presentation before. The number one why is winning. We're here we play to win the game. So some people think that I'm like this softy that just trying to make a recreational fun activity for kids. Hell no! If if we're not winning, we're changing things. So so uh, so the number one reason why you go to a halftime in practice, no conditioning, uh, performance days, uh, fundamental days, uh, uh, no coaches' meets, The number one reason for that is not fun. It's winning, and and so I, I I think it's really important to say that.
1: Now my last question for you before we wrap this up is, what do you think people that Listen to you, uh, looking to feed the cats, get the most wrong about speed versus non-speed days. Like what what do you think like obviously, what do you think the perception is, or what how do you do you think they implement it wrong when you talk to coaches?
0: Do you want this answer in in uh, focusing on speed days and non-speed days in the practice week? Or just generally feed the cats
1: just generally like how, okay. how, what do people get okay. wrong about those days. Okay, uh, I, I think one thing is that
0: that uh, uh, we're not getting anything done. You know that. Uh, and, and as you know, when you record rank and publish. Um, I've consulted with Princeton lacrosse, and they just for the first time in 18 years made the final four. Um, and. When they first implemented Feed the Tigers, uh, they had three kids, uh, terrific lacrosse program, three kids running 20 miles an hour. Now they have 20 something. Uh, and now they have a handful of kids running 22 miles an hour. Uh, I consult with the New York Yankees, exact same thing. Uh, they have reported back that their that athletes from the minors all the way to the majors are looking forward to training an eagerness, a joyful eagerness to train, which was never, when it was strength and conditioning, athletes didn't like it. Now it's speed and power and they love it. Record, rank, and publish. They love it. So uh, so I think that, that people think we don't get anything done. We're just kind of there having fun. And fun, uh, uh, cats are extremely competitive. Uh, fun is... When I say our practices are fun, they're not grab ass fun. They're not goof around fun. They are fun in a competitive performance way. So I think that's real big. Number two is it creates softness. Um, I believe that healthy kids that love their sport, I say all the time that we are willing to struggle and fight for things we love. We're willing, to, if we don't love it, I think we give up. Yeah. So, so, if you can get your football players to love the sport and they're healthy and fast, I I think they're tough as hell. I don't, I think they're hard. I, I don't, I don't think that toughness is the opposite of fast. I think fast and toughness can be together. And I think toughness comes, this is where I change. I mean, like a lot of football coaches coaches think that toughness comes from torture, that toughness comes from physical torture. And I believe toughness comes from love, uh, not love in a romantic way, uh, love in an obsessive caring for what you do. So I, I think that that's a big thing. Um, I, I, I think that uh, I say this all the time, it's important to say, there are coaches that love my ideas that say, I just can't do it. Because, because if I get beat, people will say I'm soft. That I was soft on the kids. And I say to them, I say, I say, what uh, would you rather? Would you rather lose and be hard-nosed and tough, or win and be soft? You all for sure, Coach. I'd rather be tough and hard-nosed. I said, so you'd rather lose than win. Well, I didn't say that. It's just that. Well, see, that's the tradition we're fighting. We're traditionally um, you know, you would go for two weeks and coaches didn't care about your health. They didn't care about performance. They just beat the hell out of you. And, and that was to get you tough. And then they're going to back off a little bit on game week, but you've already done the damage. So I would say those are the the biggest, Oh, last misconception, because I don't talk about the weight room. People think I'm anti-weights. Um, when I say prioritize speed, they think uh, lock up the weight room and prioritize speed. Priority does not mean at the cost of all other things. Because we prioritize speed, we do not deprioritize toughness. Like I said, I think that fast, healthy people that love football are going to be tough. I don't think uh, we deprioritize the weight room because I think the greatest warm up ever invented for the weight room is sprinting. That... that getting your CNS, um, lit up when your CNS is on fire and my guys feel better after a sprint workout than they did before.
1: Yeah.
0: So then they walk into the weight room and weight room people report back to me that those guys are dialed in. They are performing in the weight room. Um, and, and, you know, I, I just think that, uh, uh, that, that that (laughs) that sprint work is going to make the weight room better. Oh, and then the, I keep thinking of other things. Uh, the last thing I want to say is that they'll be poorly conditioned. And what I say is the fast guys are fast in the fourth quarter. Yeah. So that that, that that's it.
1: Um, coaches, thank you for listening to another episode of the Gap Down Backer Podcast. Um, coach's Twitter handle will be in the bio along with his YouTube channel. Uh, check either one of those out. There's a lot. I mean, we just scratch. I mean, we could talk for hours, and coach could go into a billion different directions and. you want more information obviously that's the first place check out the track football consortium as well um there's some good logging stuff on there as well uh coach has written articles and i mean you you just type in his name in google and you'll find a bunch of stuff on coach and it's all fantastic stuff um check out our sponsors affiliates um like share subscribe all that lovely jazz um and then thank you again for listening to episode of the gap down backer podcast